you know, most of your listeners are saying, well, I would never buy the dollar jug because there's just something wrong there. But I just told you, you could get 10 times as much stuff for like whatever the percentage of a dollar to seven is, um, you know, you know, there's something wrong there. And that happens in insurance as well. The problem is we don't understand the details enough. It's this complex document that doesn't make any sense to us. And so we don't have any framework to decide what's better than something else. And so we give up and we buy the cheapest policy. And this is where we find trouble. So I think the biggest mistake people make is not finding an advisor, someone who they really can talk with, someone who they can trust. We look for good lawyers. We look for good property managers. We look for good uh, folks in other realms. But with insurance, we're like, ah, let's just buy the cheapest thing. Welcome to the Real Estate Investors Club podcast. What's the real power of leverage? People think real estate is all about leveraging capital. Money is important, but what about the decisions we make? The things we do and don't do determine our success as investors. Choices and actions create success. Before we get to the bank, we make choices guided by mindset and by the things we do and don't know. If we want to succeed as investors, we need to leverage knowledge. We need to increase what we know so our actions pay bigger dividends. Join host Terry Schauer and Jean-Philippe Claude for conversations with leading experts in the real estate field. From mortgages to mindset and from macroeconomics to local market trends, grow your knowledge capital with us. Welcome to the Real Estate Investors Club podcast, where we seek advice to help us make better investing decisions. Hello and welcome to this episode of the Real Estate Investors Club podcast. We're here today with Jeremy Goodrich, the founder of Shine Insurance Agency, and he's going to tell us a little bit about risk and insurance today. So just by way of a kickoff, I want to read back something that I saw on your LinkedIn profile, which I thought was really cool. I thought we're going to start with this. So you say, risk thrives in information gaps, but we rarely have 100% of the information. How can you relate that to your business and to what people do in real estate? Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here to talk about the topic. And I think that's a great place to start because one of the things we have to understand as humans, as business owners, and as real estate investors is how we handle risk, right? Risk is everywhere in everything we do. And you can sort of imagine it like pouring from a cup, right? You can take a cup <clears throat> and you can turn it sideways a little bit and just pour little drips out of it. Or you can turn a cup upside down, like in that ice break challenge or whatever that was a few years ago, um, where you just pour it right down on top of something. And risk is the same way. Every single decision we're making we're thinking about how much risk we, we want to take and what's associated that with that. And if we really dig just one layer deeper, what we're actually asking ourselves is with the information we have, what decision will we make? And I think that that is what risk is. Everything is a balance between risk and reward. If we want to drive faster on the highway, we're going to have to choose to get out in the fast lane and pass a car. And during that time, we want to make sure there's not a car already over there. We want to make sure all our safety processes are there, right? Unless we're just going crazy, we're dumping that cup of risk upside down and just flying around the highway. I would suggest you not do that. And so 
when really? we're. <laughs> I love to do that. <laughs> Depends on your risk tolerance. Everyone has a balance, right? Some people just like to sit behind that big mobile home that that's driving down the highway and say, "Hey, they're going 50. I'm going to go 50 because that's the absolute safest thing I can do." Most of us don't drive that way, and most of us don't fly down the highway at 150 miles an hour either. We all find our place in the middle. And I think that that's what, as real estate investors, we're doing all the time. And it's that relationship of information to lack of information that creates the most risk for us, right? And so we've got to make decisions off of less than 100% or we'll have analysis paralysis. There's probably listeners out there who are have been studying real estate for maybe a year, maybe five years, you know, and they're like, you know, I know I want to pull the trigger. I've seen the value. I've listened to podcast episodes. I've heard, uh, I've, I've read books. I've gone to meetups. I know that there's value in real estate, but I just feel like I never have all the information. And the answer is you, you never will. No one does, unless you're at an ice cream shop or something like that, you know, where you just know. So you have to find where that information gap is for you, how you can shrink the information gap as, as much as you can. And at the same time, what percentage of information you really want to have before you just pull that trigger. You know, I think that I saw, it was a comment, I think in that post you were referring to, but uh, Colin Powell said that he, wa- he, he wants to have at least... of information before making a decision. And this is, I don't know what role he played in the U.S. government, but a big role in the U.S. government. He wants to have at least 40% of the the information, but no more than 70% to to make a decision, (laughs) right? Because if he gets up to 75, then he's waited too long. And that's sort of analysis paralysis. So I don't know if that was too long-winded of an answer, but we're really thinking about risk in that way when we make decisions. Okay, now, for your specialty being insurance, every day you must have people calling you and say, hey, I'm in the process of acquiring this property. I need insurance coverage. Can you help me? Where do you start to be able to start to gather that information in order to make an appropriate quote? Right. So insurance is a tool in that risk management world, right? We have property and there are are three kinds of, of risk. One is risk we can do something about. The second is risk we can do nothing about. We can't do anything about it. And the third is risk we could have done something about had we known about it, right? And the risk of your property burning down or experiencing a tornado or you know having some bad thing happen, most people know that's there, right? When you think about buying property, you're like, oh, okay, that's a risk you know about and a risk that you can pass the financial load on to an insurance company. You're like, hey, I'm going to buy a $500,000 duplex. Um, I don't have $500,000. I'm going to use my capital stack. I'm going to use you know debt and things of that nature. And if my the place totally burns down, I can't replace that. It would kill my, you know, my journey. And, and most of us are in that position. So I can pass that on to the insurance company. So I just wanted to seam between the risk conversation and the insurance conversation before answering your question, Axel. So, you know, I think when you're going to purchase insurance, the number one mistake I see real estate investors make is just chase the cheapest price. If I've got a row in a, a, um, in a, re, in a store, if I need suntan lotion, 
And I know I want to protect my skin, right? So that I don't get a sunburn. And there's four different types of suntan lotion. There are some small bottles for $5, $7, and $10, different options, different things there. And then I look to the left and there's a two gallon jug of suntan lotion for $1. Like, which one am I going to buy? You know, most of your listeners are saying, well, I would never buy the dollar jug because there's just something wrong there. But I just told you, you could get 10 times as much stuff for like whatever the percentage of a dollar to seven is. Um, You know, you know, there's something wrong there. And that happens in insurance as well. The problem is we don't understand the details enough. It's this complex document that doesn't make any sense to us. And so we don't have any framework to decide what's better than something else. And so we give up and we buy the cheapest policy. And this is where we find trouble. So I think the biggest mistake people make is not finding an advisor, someone who they really can talk with, someone who they can trust. We look for good lawyers, we look for good property managers, we look for good uh, folks in other realms, but with insurance, we're like, ah, let's just buy the cheapest thing. And that's clearly a big mistake. And sadly, the only way to know is to been burnt a few times and not get enough coverage. Mm-hmm. So that's a whole other conversation. Yeah. 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 I sort of answered your question sideways. So if you want some specific parts of insurance policy, I'm more than happy to dig into the details. You just tell me how far in the weeds you want me to go. I don't know. Maybe give us like a top two or three. Like if you, if you had, you know, whatever, two or three pieces of advice, like guys watch this, this, this. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, uh, absolutely. So the number one thing I think when you're looking at a proposal is how much coverage the insurance agent is suggesting you put for the building. Let's say you have a thousand square foot single family home. Generally speaking, it depends on where you live and, 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 you know, as far as replacement cost, and certainly we're seeing the cost to replace buildings skyrocket right now with all the other costs that we're seeing go up. But let's say $140 or $150 a square foot is a nice place to land for what it would cost to replace a building. So then we would want to see about $150,000 of coverage on that property. If you see a quote and they've sent you a quote for $90,000, well, that's a sign that that insurance advisor is trying to show you the cheapest price without really thinking about what it would cost to replace the building. So that's the first thing I would look at. Does the building coverage on the quote or on the policy align with what you feel it would actually cost to replace that building? That would be number one. And number two is in the weeds, but I can simplify it. So there's something called replacement cost coverage. Let me give you an example. So uh, let's say you have damage to your roof. In Indiana, we have hail. There's lots of hail damage claims, damage to your roof. And sometimes you need to replace your roof because of hail damage. Well, you're going to have to remove the roof, that old roof. Maybe it's 10 years old. Maybe it's 15 years old. Maybe it's two years old. You're going to have to remove that roof and put a new roof on it. To put a new roof on it, it's going to cost $10,000, let's say. Replacement cost coverage says we're going to pay $10,000 minus your deductible, but we're going to pay for the actual cost to replace the roof. Replacement cost is what you want. What we see all too often is something called ACV coverage. And so you can look at your policy or your quote and say, is ACV anywhere? ACV says, well, it's going to cost $10,000 to replace your roof, but that roof that you had on there was 15 years old. 
And so we're going to depreciate for the age of the roof. And we're going to pay essentially saying, hey, you can replace your 15-year-old roof with another 15-year-old roof. So we're going to pay $4,000 instead of $10,000. Now, we all know we can't go out and buy a 15-year-old roof. And so ACV coverage would be the second one that I see all too often on insurance policies. And if you see ACV anywhere, it's a red flag. And you definitely want to talk with your advisor about that or maybe consider finding another one. Yeah, in in uh, Canada, that gets called depreciated value or valeur déprécié. We have that. I we just had an off camera conversation about precisely that happened to me, and that was like one of my insurance learning curves. Was I got caught out with that, and they wanted to pay seventy percent of the value of something. I'm like, okay, how am I going to repair this with a seventy percent value? So, like, great tip. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And in, in the defense of the insurance companies, they're seeing so many claims where people just have old roofs and are trying to get those roofs replaced. Uh, through insurance. Insurance is really supposed to be for catastrophic losses, not to do maintenance work on your your roof. At the same time, if you own, you know, a hundred thousand square foot uh, apartment complex, and it's going to be a million dollars to replace your roof. So I can see the, the motivation to file the claim potentially. So that's a back and forth between who's right and wrong. I'm not on anybody's side. I'm just articulating what's there to navigate. Continuing on the elements that you mentioned are absolutely crucial to look for in a policy, um, I'd love to discuss a little bit the civil liability part, because that's something that, in a way, I know I pay for in every policy. I somewhat understand it, but like, I'd love to hear a little bit more from your side about it. Yeah, so liability coverage is one of the most important coverages on your insurance policy. In fact, I have some clients who are um, multi-millionaires, have plenty of cash on hand, and actually don't. Uh, insure their own property. So they've chosen, hey, I don't need property coverage because if my $500,000 duplex burns down, I have the cash to replace it and I don't want to pay for the insurance. For those clients, they have liability coverage though, because it's so important. Liability coverage is for bad things that happen to other people because of you, right? And Or because of your building. So I have a claim going on right now where a tenant walked out on an icy day and she fell. She slipped and fell on ice and she broke her arm. She went to the hospital. <clears throat> sorry. She went to the hospital. No big deal. $5,000, maybe, uh, maybe a few thousand dollars. Um, but sh- a personal injury attorney came through and said, Hey, I can get you 50,000 bucks. And this happens all the time. Right. And so now as a property owner, instead of navigating a few thousand dollars in medical costs, Uh, because of the ice that was on your sidewalk, you're navigating a $50,000 lawsuit. And, you know, litigiousness and all that kind of thing is a whole nother conversation, but the reality, it exists, it happens, and and it is there. And so uh, civil liability coverage or liability coverage is there to protect you from those types of things. Something bad happens because of your building. Someone slips and falls on your stairs. Those are all things that you do not... There's an infinite number, especially associate, associated with worst case scenarios. The most common one is like a porch cl- collapses or something like that, where you just have no idea how much money could be involved in those scenarios. And that's why no matter how wealthy you are, no matter how much capital you have available, having liability coverage is incredibly important. 
It's actually funny that you mentioned that because I had something very similar happen to me once and I was very happy to have liability insurance. <laughs> yeah. And they, you know, they paid for the lawyers and there's different coverages. So, you know, depends on the policy, but really paying, paying for the lawyer, your experience in a liability claim is almost none. You essentially turn it into your insurance company and then you're done. Now, if you have to, you know, sit on a court stand or something like that, if it goes to that level, then obviously you would have to be engaged in that way. But the beauty of liability coverage is the thing literally just disappears. It's just taken care of by the insurance company. And it, it, it's taken care of by the insurance company as long as there's enough coverage. And we see now anywhere between one and five million <laughs> for someone who's operating, let's say a three or a five unit, like what, what, do you think is that realistic number? Let me just interject one thing here. Uh, let's remember that um, Jeremy's in the U.S. and in Canada, Correct. we don't have the same liability laws. Like you guys are, I think it's a much more uh, aggressive environment in the U.S. for liability 100%. claims. Like here, things are mm -hmm. much more circumscribed. So I just want to mention that for the listeners that like mm -hmm. we know that this is like a U.S. conversation because in Canada, things are just carved up a bit differently and we have less risk as resident residential landlords. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, that's a good point. I mean, it depends on where you're at for sure. The the basic premises probably are similar though, in that, you know, understanding the risks that exist in your space is important. If there's less risk for you in Canada, then it might make sense to have less coverage, particularly if there's a cap of some kind on how litigiousness can happen or something like that. I don't know the the specifics. It may even be provincial, provincial. Um, but, uh, you know, that's a, a good point for me. I think that a uh, million dollars of liability coverage is the base that I would suggest really anyone have. And from an American perspective, that's because, you know, in a worst case scenario, you can imagine getting there pretty quickly. Um, as far as rules of thumb, because again, you, you have no idea what the number could be, but in general, in a courtroom, if it's perceived that you insured properly, then it's unlikely that a court case would come after your personal assets and instead would take the, the limit of your insurance and end the engagement. That's never a promised thing, but there is a fair amount of benchmarking and rule of thumb uh, there. So for example, if you have a duplex, that's a, let's stick with this $500,000 example. And that is the only asset in your LLC. One could argue you're only worth $500,000. You're only worth the amount of assets that you have in there. So a million dollars is in excess of the assets you have as that LLC. Um, again, I'm I'm way over generalizing for the purpose of your listener, but you know, so a million dollars might be fine for that investor. If an investor has a $6 million property, suddenly a million dollars of liability coverage feels very different. They have a lot more in assets to go after and therefore could be perceived as underinsuring at a million dollars. And so for uh, an investor with a $6 million asset, I would probably suggest being higher. Now, do you have to be all the way up to 6 million? Really depends on the investor. But that relationship between the assets of your LLC um, and your liability insurance should be a benchmark to work from. Mm -hmm. I would like to just maybe change tax a little bit. And, you know, for me, like I'm always interested kind of in like the macro questions. Right. And so, you know, like if in Canada, for sure, in the U.S. as well, um, there's kind of like a lot of tectonic 
shifting going on with what's happening in the insurance industry. And I guess as you know, somebody who's in that space, you must have some kind of insight into what's going on. Like us as the consumers, we all know that our premiums are going up. We also know that getting paid out claims is getting a bit more sketchy and the fine print is getting longer and longer. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know if 100%. you could maybe give us kind of like a, you know, the pros tip as to like what's going on behind the scenes so that we can like understand like what are the, um, the uh, enjeu, like what are the implications? The implications, yeah, yeah. So you're exactly right. We're seeing increases, particularly in what in the insurance world is called habitational insurance, which is your residential uh, or your multifamily, right? In where people live, we're seeing a tightening from insurance companies, which means uh, they're more likely to say no. So insurance, like other industries, is a supply and demand industry, even though it feels like, well, all it is is a contract. It's a relationship on paper. How? What's the supply? But there really is a supply of insurance, and that is the capacity of an insurance company or even the willingness of an insurance company to offer insurance to a certain kind of risk. So uh, what I'm seeing in places like Texas, Louisiana, Florida, the southern part of the United States, the coastal parts of the United States, is that we see insurance companies just blanket leaving those areas. So insurance in the United States is very state-based. And so if someone doesn't want to offer insurance in coastal Texas, one solution they could have is just not to offer insurance in Texas at all. When we see good insurance companies leaving, what's left are two things. One, insurance companies that have less coverage than the other better ones that left. And two, they see that now there's less supply and so their price is going up. And so, you know, Texas is an example right now. And we saw this in Florida about 10 years ago where you're just, your supply is limited and it's incredibly hard to get decent insurance for a decent price. Now there are places where price is not going up as much, although unfortunately is increasing kind of everywhere. And, um, you know, the Midwest, I live in Indiana, that's a fairly inexpensive insurance space. Pennsylvania and Illinois inherently are, are, are some of the cheapest insurance out there. And so there absolutely still is access to decent pricing, but we're seeing it increase. And there's a few different reasons. One is there's an increase in catastrophic losses. We're seeing an increase in those losses. This is a business and insurance companies are trying to make money. And so they want to have more money coming in than money going out, uh, especially when it comes to uh, multifamily and residential. Insurance companies have lost money across the board for 14 quarters in a row on multifamily. Wow, I didn't know that. But, and is that due to natural catastrophes? It's due to uh, natural uh, increased natural catastrophe. That's one. Um, it's due to increased litigation. So uh, litigation capacity is expanding. The numbers are getting higher associated with that. And it's really due to this roof relationship. This, you know, the, the, the back and forth around roofs between insurance companies and particularly multifamily property owners, because they simply have more roof than any other kind of asset, right? <laughs> if you think about who has the most roofs, it's, it's apartment complexes, right? And so there's the back and forth between insurance companies on, you know, we've had this hail, now we're paying out $2 million in roof claims for a 250 unit apartment complex. And so in the insurance world, we call it a hard market when insurance companies are saying no 
all the time. They just, hey, I'm a no. And, and so other insurance or companies are saying, well, everybody else is saying no. I'll say yes, but you're going to have to pay for it. it. You know, and the way to work around that is to work with an advisor that actually has connections, is capable of navigating the market. Like I personally, I can't work magic. You know, the market is what it is, but I have the capacity to get some of the best pricing out there for what I'm looking for. Mm-hmm. And also, I guess, to make sure that the client is uh, appropriately insured. It's that balance, right? Yeah. Price and insurance. I mean, we all have to hit our NOI goals. We all have to hit our pro formas. You know, I, I get that investors need to see good numbers. And so I would be remiss to just talk about coverage and not talk about price as well. But you're right. It's how can we get that balance? And like you said, it's harder and harder to get uh, good coverage for that price, you know? Yeah. And I mean, I think that's just like super insightful. Like if you look at what the, cause basically like insurance is a market. And I think, like you said, it's, we just think it's this thing that you go out and make a phone call and you get it, but it's not that there is a market and like the market is pricing and risk and it's pricing and supply and demand. And like you said, in certain places, like, you know, like just like certain banks don't want to take on certain kind of mortgages anymore. Certain insurance companies just don't want a particular kind of risk. And so as they get out of that, supply goes down, demand remains the same or is higher. And then that creates like a price crunch. Yeah. And commercial real estate in general is one of those risks that insurance companies have always, this is not new, but have always seen on the edge of what they're willing to say yes to. And so what I'm always trying to do is position myself as an insurance advisor and say, look, the folks who are coming to me, I am vetting them. The investors who are coming to me, I'm vetting them. I'm making sure they're the type of real estate owner that really does take care of their property, that makes sure safety is of the utmost concern, that does all the things they're going to do to create this as a safe property. You can trust me to bring those clients to you. What I need you to do for me is say yes to me more often than maybe you say yes to other agents. And that's the game we're playing on the back end to get insurance companies to say yes to us more. And that's, I mean, isn't that just fascinating? Because I didn't realize like, you know, I have a, a broker here. We also have like a lot of direct insurers um, in our, our markets here. And so like, I, you know, I have mm-hmm. no idea that like the brokers have that kind of leeway, right? I thought also they're just picking up the phone. Okay, let me call Intact. Let me call so-and-so. Let me call whatever. And then like you, I end up with something and I don't even really know why. Yeah. And in residential, it is a little bit like that. You know, when we're talking about single family schedule, you know, single family homes, things like that, if you're calling some of those Super Bowl commercial companies or things like that, I mean, it's pretty straightforward um, as far as where the price comes from. There's just discounts. They're either, they either apply or they don't, and the, the number comes out. But in commercial real estate, five doors or more, when we're talking about, you know, bigger properties, it's similar to lending. In the lending world, it's a little more of the wild, wild west when it comes to commercial lending, right? You can have a conversation with, you know, a broker can have a conversation with an underwriter, the ultimate person who's making the decision at the company. And if the conversation makes sense, if the story makes sense, you could get better loan, you know, you can get a better loan or you could even get a loan at all instead of not having any. It's the same in commercial insurance. If I can tell the story of a property, the story of an investor, the history of what they've done and their capacity to mitigate risk, I can get a yes in a way that I couldn't for a different type of investor. Mm-hmm. And with, with what you're describing here, you seem to emphasize that it's also a very relationship-based business. And so I'm sure you have some clients that you've had for 20 years that obviously you're going to 
go and take more risk for them because over the years you've seen how well they've maintained their properties. Um, are there any other factors other than maintenance that would really make you vouch for them? Yeah. I mean, I think that's right. The better I know an investor, the better I can pitch an investor. I, I think longevity with insurance company also helps a little bit. Once you're in the door, if you stick around for a while, it's likely that even renewals will look better. So an insurance company is looking every year, and especially in the commercial insurance world, and saying, what has this risk looked like till now? What am I willing to tolerate? And frankly, what do I think I can get out of this? It's not like they're, you know, insurance companies are just like, oh, hey, can I, how can I give the cheapest price? There, you know, there's a balance there happening, right? And so they will look at the risk. And if you they've been with you for one or two years, you know, it's going to feel different than, you know, if this client has been with you for 10 years, you've made, and I promise you, underwriters think about this exact thing every single year when they look at renewals in the commercial insurance world. We've made $100,000 off of this property, you know, this property by, by $10,000 over a year over the course of, of 10 years. You know, I'm going to make sure that the, the rate increases are more limited than maybe someone who I haven't made any money off of yet. Mm -hmm. Now, of course, the opposite is true as well. If we've had some big losses, now, uh, you know, a company is more likely to offer a higher price because they, they've either lost the money themselves if it's a re renewal or they've seen that those losses exist and that this may be a higher risk account. Mm -hmm. Well, Jeremy, this has been super interesting. Like you've said, had some really like enlightening things, like making the insurance situation interesting. Um, do you have any kind of like last things that you want to say, last piece of advice, um, last motivational snippet? <laughs> Sure. Yeah. So, you know, uh, especially for multi and family investors that are listening right now, five doors or more, uh, one of the things you're doing is obviously doing a lot of pro forma work, doing a lot of underwriting work, trying to figure out what's a good deal and not a good deal. And one line item in that pro forma is obviously the insurance line item. I've created just like a really quick, easy way to make sure that's right. It's at shineinsurance.com slash ballpark. And basically you put the address in and answer nine yes or no questions and assuming those questions are answered in the way that isn't complicated. So like if you, if I, the coastal question, if it says it is coastal, then it's not going to pop out an immediate quote, but assuming they're all right, then it's going to pop out an immediate number for you to underwrite with just like right away. And so I would encourage you to use that tool and just get reps on it. And, you know, wherever, whatever market you're investing in, you're going to start to see similar numbers over different properties. And then you can feel more comfortable with your number. I think what I worry about is people putting $200 a door in uh, their pro forma, getting past, you know, submitting a letter of intent and getting into the due diligence period and then realizing it's actually five or $600. Uh, and, you know, obviously you look at how that affect cap, cap rates and everything else, you're, you know, th those are big effects that they have. So my last piece of advice, I guess, is just, uh, you know, use that link and just starting start getting reps on what the insurance piece costs. That's a United States based thing. So if it's a Canadian listener, uh, you could email us or something like that. But and along those lines, then where can uh, people find out more about you? What's the best way to get in touch? 
Yeah. So they're at shineinsurance.com. Obviously the best place. I do have a podcast called Managing Commercial Real Estate Risk. You can find that anywhere you listen to podcasts where we talk about risk as a whole. And I talk with some of the biggest investors uh, across our country uh, about uh, how they manage risk and how they navigate things. Wonderful. Well, thank you, Jeremy. This was really insightful. Thank you very much today for your participation. Hey, it was my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. All right. And to anyone listening, as usual, uh, please keep supporting us. If you want to uh, share this episode with a friend who could benefit from the conversation, uh, subscribe to the show, follow, and um, send us some feedback. It's always appreciated. And until then, as usual, get to know your market and go make some offers. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Real Estate Investors Club podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, remember to give us a rating, leave a comment, subscribe, and share. You can find Terry at terryshower.com. Her book, Mindful Landlord, is available on Amazon. You can also follow her on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Instagram. JP is the president of the Real Estate Investors Club. You can learn more about the club's networking and educational activities on Facebook by searching for Real Estate Investors Club. Look to the show notes to find information on our guests and links to material mentioned in the episode.